0: Genesis 24, where we are today. We've come to the story at the end of Abraham's life when Abraham sends his servant to go and choose a bride for his son Isaac. And 20, chapter, Genesis chapter 24 is a long chapter. It's uh, 67 verses. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all 67 verses. So here's kind of what we're going to do. We're going to kind of work through it together. Okay? Um, I do think, though, I want to read part of it you know what you have uh, one of the reasons this chapter is so long is because basically what Abraham tells this servant his servant repeats a couple of times and so let's begin in the first verse and let's read through. Let's read through verse 24. Let's read the first 24 verses of this chapter, and this will give us really a good picture of what's taking place here. Genesis chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from, the, from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God, my master Abraham, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city Are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, Drink, and I will also give your camels a drink, let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah. Who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, "Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher." So she said, "Drink, my lord." Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water and drew for her camels. And the man wondered at her. I'm sorry. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milka's son, whom she bore to Nahor. So they leave the well. They go back to her father's house, and there is her father and her brother, whose name is Laban. Now we'll meet Laban a little later on, and we're gonna we're gonna uh, learn a lot more about Laban later. Um, and they're there, and the servant comes to the house, and he retells the story to rebecca's father and brother and tells them this is who i am my master abraham sent me he's a mighty print he sent me to find a wife for his son and i was praying to the lord this specific thing when rebecca comes out and the lord answers my prayer and here i am in your house and then let's uh, let's fast forward just a little bit. So he recounts the story to uh, the Rebecca's father and brother. And then let's look at verse 48, after he had asked her, now it doesn't recount this previously, but it tells us after he had asked her, "Who are you?" and she tells him. And he uh, put the nose ring, verse 47 says, So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. So understand that he didn't just give her a box wrapped up and say, Here, I got this at Jared. No, he got the nose ring and he put the nose ring on her nose and he puts the bracelets on her wrist. He gives the gifts and she receives the gifts she comes to the her father's house bearing the gifts on her body she's got possession of the gifts and she says after i did that says i bowed my head verse 40 i bowed my head and worshiped the lord and blessed the lord god of my master abraham who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son now verse 49 now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master tell me and if not tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Now look at verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. In other words, well, what are we supposed to say? This thing obviously comes from the Lord. Who are we to... They didn't say it's a good thing or a bad thing. Now we're going to see later on in the story. They tried to get... Rebecca, to stay, let her stay at least 10 more days. And the servant says, no. She comes now, now or nothing. And they said, well, we'll let, we'll let the girl decide. So let's turn over and uh, let's look at verse 56. And they said, let her stay a few more days, at least 10 after that she may go. Verse 56. This is her family talking to the servant. And here's the response of Abraham's servant. And he said to them, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me, send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with the man? And she said, I will go. And Rebecca went. And Rebekah departed and left with Abraham's servant and followed him to her bridegroom. So this is the story of Genesis 24. The Bible is about the desire of God to glorify his son. Don't ever forget that. The Bible is about Christ. And it's not just about Christ in detail so that we can have a a lot of head knowledge about Jesus. There is a purpose for the Scripture given to us to reveal Christ. And we see that the, the will of the Father, the purpose of the Father, the desire of the Father is to glorify His Son. And God eternally purposed to bring about the glory of His Son. And God uses all of the created order to that, as a means to that end. Sometimes we ask these, these big general questions: Why did God create everything? Why did God create man? Why did God, you know, let things happen the way they did? The answer to that is be is this: God's desire in eternity, before time and space begin, was to glorify His Son, and God created everything, from Adam. God created everything as a means to that end that his son would be glorified. And that's why I say the creation is for us, but it's not about us. The Bible is for us, but it's not about us. Christ is for us, but he's not about us. God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. And and the point of our existence, ultimately, in everything, in everything you can think of, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in everything, the ultimate purpose will be the glory of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. In Genesis 22, you think about the overwhelming themes of these chapters. In Genesis 22, we see the Father giving the only Son as a sacrifice, picturing the death of Christ in the cross. In Genesis 23, we see the dead being buried out of the sight of the living, picturing the burial of Christ in the cross. And in Genesis 24, we see the Father send His servant to choose a bride for His only Son, picturing the bride... Of Christ being chosen by the Holy Spirit and brought out to Christ through the cross. Rebecca was required to make a journey. There was no option that existed that said Rebecca was going to stay where she was and Isaac was coming to her. No way. Abraham made that very clear Beware, my son must not go back to the land. I came from. So we're joined to Christ through the journey that leads us out and brings us in the union with Him, and that journey His bride must make is a journey through the cross. John fourteen, John chapter fourteen is the chapter uh, during the time when Jesus has Jesus has already had the last supper with His disciples. They are getting ready to go to the Mount of Olives. This is where Jesus, where the Garden of Gethsemane is. This is where Jesus is going to be arrested and ultimately taken and crucified. And so John 14 is just hours before the arrest of Jesus. And in John 14, let's just hold your place in Genesis chapter uh, 24, and let's turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, "'Let not your heart be be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also.'" that where I am, there you may be also. This was the requirement for Rebekah. This is what Abraham told his servant. Put your hand under my thigh and swear this oath to the God of heaven and to the God of earth that you will go and choose a bride for my son, but you will not take my son back to the land from which I came. So what was the call for Rebecca That she would come to dwell where Isaac was. This is what Jesus says. I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, that that you, that where I am, there you may be also. We're called out of one realm. We're called out of one life and into another. We're called out of a carnal and a temporal realm. And we're called into a spiritual and eternal realm. Don't think that just because this aluminum pulpit here don't think that because this is real and I'm real and I'm standing here pounding this that I am not living in an eternal and spiritual realm because that's where I live. Not because I'm somewhere up in outer space or in heaven, but because I am in Christ. You're sitting on real chairs on real foam rubber with real upholstery on those real cushions in a real building on a real concrete slab. But you are if you are in Christ. Listen, Christian, if you have been born again, you are eternal and you are spiritual. That's who you are. The chair you're sitting on is going to pass. The body you're living in is going to die one day and go back to the dust or it's going to be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And the reason it will be is because you are right now in Christ an eternal spiritual being. You cannot go back to what you were before. Rebecca was called out. She had to come to Isaac. And once Rebekah left and went to Isaac, we're going to see the beautiful picture in the last verse of this chapter. Once Rebekah came to Isaac and she was joined to Isaac, there was no option for Rebecca to ever go back to the land that she came from. This is why we believe in eternal security. Because if you have truly been born again, you have truly been taken out of one Land out of one realm, out of one life, and you have been joined to one who is your bridegroom, who is your husband, who is your head, who is your life, and you have lost your identity and have become one with him. He is now your identity. Doesn't mean you're not a real person. It means you are a person who's living with his life. That's who we are in Christ. That is the gospel. Not that we get a life separate from Christ, and Christ just gives us all kinds of shiny bracelets and nose rings and whatever else the camels were carrying. See, that's what we want. That's that's the that's the conception we've formulated in our mind. We're yes, we're the bride. But here's how we live, and here's what we want God to do for us. Yes, I want to be Isaac's bride, but I want to stay here in my country, in my land, in my father's house, live in my life like I always have, in my comfort here. But I want my husband, I want him to just send me these shiny things. So we pray to God, God, send us the shiny things that we want. Send us the things that will make our life even better in the land that we want to live in. And we have no conception that what God really, the only reason, we're going to look at this in a little bit, the reason he brought those gifts, the reason he came bearing gifts, was not so that Rebecca could stay in her land and enjoy the gifts in her land. He brought those gifts because those gifts spoke of what was waiting for her. The reality, Isaac was real. What she was going to journey and come into was real. It wasn't something she was going to get one day when she died. It was something that was real for her right now. And so we're called to go out from this realm. The Holy Spirit calls us and draws us out of the old and into the new. We leave the old behind and we enter into the new. That is Christ. This is the ultimate deliverance that we experience when we're born again. It doesn't matter what you need to be delivered from. We all need to be delivered from the old. We get focused on certain things kind of what Caleb was talking about this this was the problem with the tax collector in the parable that Jesus gave I mean the problem with the Pharisee in the parable of the the Pharisee and the tax collector the Pharisee and the tax collector are both there in the temple praying the tax collector is there praying recognizing his need for a savior and maybe he was able to recognize it more because tax collectors in Jesus day were despised people they were rejected by most of the people around him they were Jews this wasn't a Roman this was a Jew who was a tax collector and the fact that he was a Jew and a tax collector meant that he was an enemy of the people and he was rejected by his people that that tax collector in a sense is is a type and a shadow even of Jesus who was rejected by his own people and so here comes here comes this picture, and in this picture, Jesus, the 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 tax collector recognizes his sinfulness, and he says, "I know how sinful I am. God, have mercy on me." The Pharisee looks at the tax collector. And he only sees the symptom of his sinfulness, and he says. I'm so thankful I'm not like the tax collector. But because he was so focused on the symptoms of sin, he was unable to see his own sinfulness because it looked like he had everything well put together. Your need for Jesus is not because you're manifesting symptoms of sinfulness. Your need for Jesus is real, whether regardless of what symptoms you're manifesting or not. You need deliverance not because you can identify a specific thing that holds you in bondage. You need deliverance because you were born in bondage. And your bondage may be self-righteousness. Your bondage may be good work. Your bondage may be the self-righteous pride you have of how good your life is. So it's not about the symptom. It's about the reality that every one of us born on this earth need a savior and we need deliverance. Some know it better than others, but until we all come to the reality that we need a savior, we are lost. So the bride was called to come out, but the warning was do not take my son back there. This is about the heart of the bride to follow the servant out of her country from her kindred, from her father's house, a bride who is humble, a bride who is thirsty, drinking at the well, a bride willing to go out even among the excuses those around her offered on her behalf. Rebecca had every reason to say, I don't want to go yet. But she looked past all the excuses everyone was trying to make on her behalf. And she went. Christ has come out of the land of the dead. He's come out from death and he will not return. Or we could say it like this Christ has come out of the land of the dead and to Adam he will not return. Christ has gone out from the land of the dead. He was the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And he has put on that man. He has put that man away and has come out from among the dead. Jesus, why Jesus is called the last Adam. He's, Jesus will never put Adam back on again. He is never going to go back to that land. And we can't live in Adam. And hope that God gives us trinkets and gifts to make our life in Adam better. God says, the only way you can be joined to me, the only way you can have life, you have to come out of that land. Now Christ calls us out. Come out of death and to join him in life. He calls us out of the old creation and into a new creation. The son will not go back from where he came. He must go out. We must go out and follow him. And he calls a bride with a heart that's willing to follow him in humble obedience and expectant faith. In humble obedience and expectant faith. In Christ, our relationship with the former has been terminated. Christ has terminated our relationship with the land we come from When we come into Him. When we come from death to life, God terminates our relationship with death. This is exactly why Jesus said, don't fear physical death. Because physical death is not our end. Physical death is just simply a transition for us. Death has no power over us any longer. We have come out of the land of the dead into the land of the living, who is Christ. Why does God, why does God do this? Why has God done all that he has done? God does all for his glory. And we see the heart of the father in Genesis 24. The heart of the father is a bride for the glory of his son. So think of it this way. The heart of the Father is the glory of the Son. And the heart of the Son is the glory of the Father. And the heart of the Spirit is the glory of the Godhead, three in one. So you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that are all about the glory of one another. Now to us that may sound kind of strange, may sound kind of weird. And the only reason that really does is because this is... This is the cry, the desire of our sinful nature. Our old man, the man God calls us out of, In that old man and that old sinful nature, we really, we're like Satan. We really want to have the glory for our. We want some measure of the glory for ourselves. Now, here's the thing. When we seek the glory of the Father, we receive the glory of the Father. When we seek the glory of the Son, we receive the glory of the Son. So we're not void of benefit. We benefit greatly and we should rejoice in that benefit. We should look forward to that benefit. We should glory, we should give glory to God for that benefit because that's where the benefit comes from. The benefit comes from his glory. And so God does all of, of this for his glory and the glory of his son. John Jesus says, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. John 13.31 and 32, Jesus says this, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself. And glorify Him immediately. John fourteen thirteen, and whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John fifteen eight By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As his disciples we bring glory to the Father. So Abraham sent his servant to bring out a bride for his son. And this is a picture of God the Father sending the Holy Spirit to bring out a bride for the glory of His Son. So the heart of the Father is to provide a bride for His Son. Adam was created so that God could call out a bride for His Son. Adam wasn't created for God to wait and see how it was going to turn out so he could come up with an alternate plan. The plan was always to provide a bride for his son, and that bride was going to come through Adam. But it was never about Adam. It was always about Christ. But Adam became a partaker of the glory because God used Adam as a means to bring out a bride for his son. So the glory of the Son would be magnified and multiplied in many members. In one life, the life of that Son, magnified, multiplied, and glorified through the many members joined in one body. The Father sends His servant to bring a bride to His Son. The servant was sent to bring out a bride. The servant wasn't sent to prepare a place for Isaac to go to. The servant was sent to choose a bride and bring that bride out to Isaac. God sought you. God drew you to himself by his spirit to be the bride of his son. The son will not be taken back to the land from which you came. This is verse 7. The point is that the bride is coming out Of her land to the bridegroom in his land. Christ has made his journey into and out of our land. We are now called into his kind, into his land, into his kingdom, and into his realm. The privilege of prayer is not to bring Christ to us, but that we are coming out of where we are to be in union with him. We could really kind of say it like this. Prayer really, ultimately, is not about moving God. It is about moving us. We need to be careful that we are not spending our time trying to get the Son to come back into our own land. We're called to go out and to follow Him. We're no longer of this world. We have been born again. And if we have, we are of Christ. We are no longer of this world so the son will not return back to the land from which you came the servant chooses a bride the Lord has appointed now let's look at verse 22 through 24 so here is Abraham's servant sitting on the camel watching Rebecca water the camels Verse 22, So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? And she tells him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. And then in verse 44, It says, it says that she is giving these uh, camels this uh, drink. And when she finished, this is later on in the, in the verse where it says that he puts the nose ring on her nose and puts the bracelet on her wrist. And it says in verse 44, look, look at the words of the servant. It says, She says to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. So Abraham sent his servant to choose a bride. But the servant understood that the Lord had appointed. He looked at Rebecca, and he said, This is is the bride the Lord has appointed for my master's son and because he recognized this was the bride appointed for his master's son that the, the bride that the Lord has appointed he gives gifts to this bride and in verse 53 it says when the servant brought out jewelry and then the servant brought out jewelry and silver gold jewelry silver jewelry and clothing and gave them to rebecca now why did he give the gifts to rebecca he gave the gifts to rebecca because he recognized that she was the bride that the lord had appointed for his master's servant the gifts were given to the bride they were signs and tokens that resulted in her coming out of her own to be joined to the bridegroom they spoke of what was waiting for her when she came out those gifts were never intended to be for her in her own land to do her own thing listen a lot of christians seek the gifts and the blessings of god for themselves in their own land to do their own thing but the point is never the gift the point is the giver of the gift The gift was not so that Rebecca would look at the gift. The gift was only a sign and a token that spoke of the one who was giving the gift. And ultimately the treasure that Rebecca received was not gold and silver and clothing in trunks carried by camels. Ultimately the treasure that Rebecca received was Isaac, her husband. Ultimately the treasure that receive is not all of the blessings that God can give us Here on this earth, ultimately the blessings that we have already received is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the treasure. The gifts only speak of the giver of the gifts. That's why we shouldn't be focused on gifts or not gifts and what is manifesting all on the outside and what kind of car a person drives or what kind of house a person lives in or what what this is or what that is listen the treasure is none of those things the treasure is this is Christ in you is the treasure dwelling in your heart is your heart for the treasure who is Christ not the treasure that Christ can give you the treasure is not in the things that he can give you the treasure is him he's the treasure And there's no greater treasure that we can receive. And if we have received him, we have received the greatest treasure. The gift of Isaac in this picture. Just like everything God gives us speaks of Christ, speaks of the person... speaks of the consummation that would take place between bride and bridegroom a bride that was being brought out of her own land into that of the bridegroom the bride has a heart to serve to follow and to go the bride is released from her father's house for the lord has spoken this is what this is what uh, This is what Rebecca's father says in verse 50 and 51. The servant says, okay, this is it. This is what I prayed. The Lord answered the prayer. It's obvious she is the appointed one, appointed by the Lord God of heaven and earth. What say ye, father and brother? Good or bad? The father and brother said, what can we say? Obviously, the Lord has spoken this. We can say neither good or bad. You notice they weren't rejoicing. Now I can identify, I gave a daughter away. And it's hard to give a daughter away. But there's a a picture here that we need to catch. This was not about whether they thought it was good or bad. They said the right thing. We can say neither good or bad, for the Lord has. Now I think they should have been rejoicing... that, That the will of the Lord was being done here but at least they were able to recognize we're not going to stand in the way of what God is doing we should rejoice in what God is doing I guess just deciding to not stand in the way of what God is doing is better than resisting what God is doing but you're going to see their passive resistance as we go on in the chapter because they're giving her every opportunity to say no Why didn't she say no? I believe because the father has chosen for his son a bride that has a heart to serve, a heart to follow, and a heart to go to her bridegroom. This is not a picture of who we know ourselves to be. It's the reality of who we are in Christ. Rebecca's servanthood, Rebecca's willingness to follow and to go was not a picture of who she was in herself, that is a picture of who she is as the bride of Christ. This is a work of grace performed by God as He has spoken and ordained it to be. The bride has a heart to leave her country, her kindred, and her father's house. This is a picture of the grace of God that calls us out and empowers us To go to the one who is waiting for us. Our journey is through the cross, and there is a consummation in life as we come through the cross to Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. The bride and the bridegroom have a heart to be joined together. And we see this picture here when Rebecca is there in her house, and the servant says, What say ye to the father and to the brother? And the mother's going, can't we just let her stay a few more days? And they're like, yeah, can't you just let her stay a few more days? No, by the way, just leave these camels here and all this fine stuff, and we'll take care of it. And then we'll send her on her way. And the servant says, no. It's now or it's never. That's really, in essence, what he was saying. If she doesn't come now, I'm going to go back to my my master Abraham. This is why salvation is not something that we should play with. We, we've concocted this idea that God is this nervous Savior up in heaven waiting to see what we're going to do. And we can just keep pushing him off and pushing him off and pushing him off because he's always going to be there for us. Yet in the scripture, we really don't see that picture. This is why Paul the Apostle says, Today is the day. Now is the day of salvation. Now. Right now. Right now. God is not a nervous Savior up in heaven waiting to find out what we're going to do. Listen, God is the creator of heaven and earth. He sent his servant, the Holy Spirit, to choose for him a bride. He is not dependent upon us. We are absolutely dependent upon him. In fact, he created us so that he could call out a bride for his son. If we get to become part of that bride, that is the grace of God. It's not because we've got serving and following and going down. And God looked down and he said, boy, there's a, there's a fellow who knows how to serve, got a humble spirit and looks like just a really good guy. You know, I think I'll, I think I'll just make him part of my son's bride. No, that's not how it works. How was Rebecca chosen? He wasn't out searching for a bridegroom. Father sent the servant to search for a bride. And there she was. And when she said yes and she came out of her father's home from her country and her kindred, she did it. The same way all of us do. She did it by the grace of God. She did it by the grace of God. Why? Because the Lord had appointed a bride. Now, let's go back to the very beginning of this chapter, and I want you to look at something. See, this is a real, uh, this is easy for us to miss. But look at what Abraham says to. His servant, Let me find it. It's in verse seven. Look at look at, at uh, chapter um, chapter twenty four, verse seven. The Lord God of heaven. This is Abraham speaking to his servant. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying to your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. He will send his angel before you. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that it wasn't chance that the servant found Rebekah. It tells us that it wasn't chance that Rebekah went down into the well and brought the water back and watered him and then watered the camel. It tells us that it wasn't by chance that Rebekah decided to go instead of to stay. It tells us that God sent his angel before him. It tells us that God provided for his son A bride, and when he sent that servant to fetch that bride, he had already provided her. And he gave her the grace to be the bride that he called her to be. Ephesians 5, Paul is writing about the church. I use this in my premarital counseling because it deals with husbands and wives, but Paul is not writing simply about husbands and wives in marriage he tells us exactly what he's writing about he's writing about the church and it talks about a glorious bride husbands it tells us to love our wives in a way that Christ has loved the church and the point of God's love for the church the point of Christ's love for his bride is that He has chosen for himself a glorious bride. How does she become glorious? He makes her glorious. He spoke that. This is what Nahor says. I mean, this is what Bethuel says. The Lord has spoken it. What can I say? I can't say good or bad. The Lord has done this. God will make the bride of his son glorious. God is making the bride of his son glorious. The bride of his son will be glorified because the Father has spoken it, because the Father has appointed it, because the Father has ordained it. He sent the servant to fetch for the son a glorious bride. And she will be glorious. In spite of herself. You will be glorious. In spite of yourself. Because you will not make yourself glorious. You will become glorious. Because he will glorify you. And why will he glorify you? Not for your own glory's sake. He will glorify you. Because he is to be glorified. In all things. And he. The son. Is the express image. He is the expression of God's glory manifest before us, residing in us. Our journey through the cross brings us to this place of consummation in life. The bride and the bridegroom have a heart to be joined as one. Let's go to the very end of this chapter. It's a beautiful picture here. Let's begin in, in verse 61. So Rebecca says, I will go. Verse 58. She gets everything ready. They they bless Rebecca. And then Rebecca and her maids arose. Let me read the blessing of verse 60 because it's really awesome. They blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. It reminds me of what Jesus said of the church, his bride. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. This is the blessing spoken over Rebecca. The gates that your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose and they rode out on camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of beer Lahai ro and he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and he looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So they took a veil, so she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her, so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He took her into his tent, and she became his wife. The last verse of this chapter pictures for us the consummation of this marriage, of the two becoming one flesh. This is the shadow picturing the substance of of our union with Christ. You see that? The point of types and shadows in the Bible is not so that we know types and shadows. It's not so that we can go and say, hey, look, this is a picture of this and this is a picture of that. The point of types and shadows is to cause us to know the substance. How foolish would it be if you were standing in the sunlight talking to someone and they kept looking at and talking to your shadow and they never looked at you. That would be kind of silly, wouldn't it? But yet that's really what we do when we, we try to live in the past and we try to live in the old. We're living in types and shadows and yet the substance is, is right here before us. Christ is the substance of all the types and all the shadows God has placed throughout the pages of Scripture. The point is to know Christ. It's not simply to know about Him and how all the scriptures relate to Him. The point is to know Him. We must know Him in the fullness of reality. We must experience Him in reality in our heart by faith. Sitting in church week after week hearing about Jesus is great but if Jesus never becomes a reality in your heart all you will die with is a head full of knowledge about Jesus and if you think you have nothing but a head full of knowledge about Jesus I implore you to cry out to him from your heart that he become a reality here in your heart we must know him in the fullness of reality we must experience him in reality In our heart by faith. It's more than just gaining more knowledge about him. It is about being transformed by his power. And as we are transformed by his power. Those things that hold us. They will hold us no more. I didn't say it would be easy. But it is the reality. This is what I said last week. If there's not real transformation, if there's not a real change, then something real has not happened. It doesn't mean all the change has to happen all at once. It may be very immediate, it may be very slow and methodical and piece by piece. And it may be frustrating because the change isn't happening fast enough, but there's got to be something that indicates there is a change that has taken place that I have come out of the old and been brought into the new, that I no longer live in the land of the dead, but I've been brought into the land of the living, that I have left my father's house, my country, my land, my kindred, and I have come into the land of my bridegroom. I have been joined to him. The marriage has been consummated. We have become one. There must be a change. Don't think that Rebecca forgot immediately her country, her land, her kindred, and her family. Don't think that Rebecca didn't struggle with the separation from her family. But the reality is, Rebecca came out, and there was a change, and there was a transformation, and her life from that point on was moving forward, not going backward. And this is why Abraham said, Beware, do not take my son back to the land from which I came. Listen, Christ is never going to come back to Adam. He's done with Adam. And we can't, as Christians, keep looking at God and asking God to give us trinkets and treasures in the land of the dead. He says, no, you've got to come out of that land because it's not about trinkets and treasures. It's about the giver of the gift. It's about the real treasure who is Christ. And when Christ comes to live in reality in your heart, you in reality will be changed. You will be. Bottom line. That's how it is. Let's all stand. You're not already, I'll tell you why Rebecca left. I know it was a work of grace. Something in Rebecca's heart that said, what I am going to, what is calling me out, is better than what I have here. Until Jesus becomes your ultimate treasure, I don't care what it is that holds you back in the land of the dead, that keeps your mind or your body and the whole reality of who you are living there, I don't care what it is, until Jesus becomes the thing that you look to that you value, that you love, that you treasure more than anything or anyone else, you're not going to come out. You're going to struggle. If Jesus is not your treasure, cry out to God that he become your treasure. Now, I'm going to tell you what. The Bible promises that if you cry out from a heart of faith that Jesus be your treasure, he will become your treasure. God will do that. But don't cry out because you're in a crisis. And once the crisis is over, you don't don't value him anymore. Jesus is not something we keep in our pocket in case we get into trouble. And once we get into trouble, we pull him out of our pocket and then we cry out to him and we want him to deliver us No, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't fit in your pocket. Jesus wants to possess you, body, soul, and spirit. And and everything that was of the old, he wants to take it out of his sight. He wants you to leave it behind because what he has for you is new. It's fresh. It's living. You can't have it both ways. You can't have the old and the new. Can't do it. You'll struggle with that the rest of your life. There is no balance there. It's all or nothing. Father in heaven, I pray right now that, Lord, we be challenged in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, there are some that have never come out of the land of the dead, there are others who have come out of that land. They live among the living, they're in life but they're still infatuated with death. Lord, whatever the case is, that is not your will and that is not your desire. When you call us out of our country, out of our land, from our kindred, from our father's house, our first father, Adam, you call us out to leave and to terminate that relationship. And I pray, God, body, soul, and spirit, we be challenged to see ourselves brought out from among the dead into the land of the living joined as one with Christ pray that you would do this as a work of your spirit and as a work of grace pray God that you would not let us be content to deceive ourselves into thinking that we can live between both worlds because we cannot I pray that we would fall on our knees in repentance and cry out to you to do a work of transformation pray that we would not be content to walk around and see the world going to hell and it not prick our heart. Pray that you would deliver us of our pride as we look at those who are like the tax collectors among us. Deliver us from a Pharisee mentality. Give us eyes to see that we all need Jesus. Give us a heart to pray and to intercede even as Christ does for those around us who we know are without Christ. Break our hearts, God, that we would love you and treasure you above every We ask that you do this, God, in your grace. Do this. <clears throat> Help us to be the church that glorifies you. <clears throat> Help us, Lord, to magnify your name. <clears throat> Amen. Give the Lord a good hand. Ah, I've lost my voice. I have nothing else. And there is nothing else I can't. God bless.